Romans chapter 5, last time we were together, we looked at the first two verses, reading them once again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So chapter 5 starts off, therefore, what preceded that? It preceded telling us that not only was Abraham blessed with his faith, but we all can be blessed with the same faith of Abraham. And of course, specifically in the work of Jesus Christ, who died because of our offenses, our sins, and rose again, that we could be justified, just as if we have never sinned. And so we look in those first couple of verses and we see there in verse one, we've got peace with God. In verse two, we have access by faith into his very presence. We see we also have grace in which we stand. And then we rejoice in the hope. The word hope in in the Bible here is not like I hope so, fingers crossed. It's a certainty. It's a deep faith. It's a confidence. And so really, you got to really make sure that you understand that. I'm rejoicing in this deep confidence, certainty of the hope of the glory of God. And you're going, wow, there's so many things that happen when we've been justified by faith. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, as we believe upon him, we're justified just as if we never sinned. And what came of that? We have peace with God. We've got access unto him. We've got grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And you're going, give me some more. There's got to be more still. And there is. Look in verse 3. And not only that, but we also, what? Glory in tribulations. Oh. Okay. I I like verse 1 and 2 a whole lot better. You know, the, the, the rejoicing in the glory of God, the peace of God. You know, now, now all of a sudden, it's telling us as much as I should re, be rejoicing in the peace of God, as much as I'm rejoicing in the access that we have unto God, as much as we rejoice in the grace in which we stand, that we should have the equal same joy that God has allowed these tribulations to come into our life. You know, the Greek word here for tribulation, it, it's literally stresses. Stressed out, we say, right? That's what it's saying, that God allows us to be stressed out. It's also the word to put pressure. And so those pressurized problems, those pressurized days and hours and weeks, sometimes years. So we rejoice in the stresses, We rejoice in the pressures. We rejoice in in the trials, the difficulties that God brings us through. Now notice here, he says, knowing that the tribulations produce. It's a natural byproduct. I love going into the grocery store and going to the produce section. You know, I mean, it's one thing when you buy a peach in a can, you know, there's a nice, beautiful picture there of a peach on a can. But it's a whole other thing when you go over and you pick up a peach, right? And you look at it. You, you can't go over and squeeze the can going, hmm, yeah, I think this one's really a good can of peaches. You know, you can't do that. You look at the peach, you're looking at it, it's, oh, yeah, it looks ripe. And, and there's something about the natural process, isn't it? It's, it's a lot better for you. It's not been 
handled and processed in some mechanical way. It's connected to the earth. It's pulled off a tree or out of the ground. And, and, and you, you say this is natural. <laughs> this is produced in a good, healthy manner. Well, it doesn't say we're going to feel that these tribulations produce this in us. It doesn't necessarily say we're going to see it. But by faith, the Bible is very clear on this point that going through trials with the Lord produce in us some wonderful things that he's going to tell us about here in a minute. Now, when you go through trials and you're not in the Lord, it's just bad luck. (laughs) You know, you go through it, you're beat up, you're wounded and hurt and you come out the other side worse off and you're going, man, I hope that never happens again. And and life goes on. But in the Lord, you see, when we go through these trials, God has a way of taking those trials and not just you go through them and, man, I'm glad that's over with, but it's God has done something in us. Now, sometimes we're going through trials and it's just life, right? Right? I mean, all 13-year-olds pretty much experience the same thing one way or another, right? All 16-year-olds and all 18-year-olds and 21-years-old, everybody who's been married a year pretty much goes through a year's worth of trials of marriage, right? I mean, there's just a lot of commonality with just being on the planet. If you've been 15 years on the planet, you've probably experienced pretty much what other people have experienced being 15 years on this planet or 30 years or 50 years. And so God can take those commonalities, those things that you just go through that are hard in this life because we're in a sinful body, in a sinful world, and and he can, instead of just going through that difficulty, you can go through it and have grown deeper in the Lord, deeper in character with it. And then there's times that it's just all out a satanic attack. We see that in the book of Job, don't we? We, we, we see there that as all the angels are talking to God that we never would have known this, but somehow in a realm where uh, you're not in a material world as we are, that Satan being a spiritual being and, and God being a spiritual being, they can communicate. Who would have thought that? But that's what the Bible teaches us. And there he says, well, what about Job? And, and there God says, I'm gonna allow you to bring trials into Job's life. But God carefully monitors it. And that's something we need to always remember. God never gives us more than we can handle. I mean, sometimes it feels like it's more than we can handle, huh? But he's, he's very careful on this. He's, we're very much in, in his care. He's very much watching over us. And boy, we see that there, that God has given uh, the devil, in this case, parameters, but he couldn't pass those parameters And he didn't. But in one day, Job lost all his children. Richest man in the world lost all his wealth. Crazy means fire out of heaven and bandits and all kinds of things. And Job went through this trial. And it said he did not foolishly charge God. But he said, naked I came in this world, naked I go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It didn't test his faith. It didn't try him. It was a difficulty. And the very next chapter, boils are now all over Job's body after another conversation. God let the devil have a little bit more of a trial in Job's life. 
And his wife comes out and says, this could not happen without God allowing it, at least if not personally doing it. Curse God and die. And Job said this, is it right for us to be only willing to receive good from God and not be, unwi- not be willing to also receive, in the Hebrew it's the word ra. It's a general word, it means evil, hardship, difficulties. Is, is, that, is that who I am? Am I a fair weather follower? I'm, I'm going to be the number one best follower of God as long as I'm blessed. And as soon as the blessings stop flowing, flip God off and go do my own thing. And this is what happens typically in trials. I can remember back and having a trial of getting a flat tire on the freeway. And I tell you, it stressed me out. I, out in the middle of nowhere on the freeway and cars are zooming by and I'm, ah, you know, what do I do? And I can't get these nuts off and they're stripping out and, and I, I was free. Oh, why didn't you use a cell phone? Hey, we didn't have microwaves back then. I mean, the fax machine hadn't yet even been produced, okay? We were just happy with the horrible copies on the copy machine. But eventually, you know, it got through that and I've had many flat tires since then. <laughs> But that which used to try me doesn't really try me anymore because I've seen God's faithfulness so many times. But little things can, can try us at the beginning because our character is not very strong. Our faith in God is not really strong. And so God is using the means by these trials to strengthen our character and get us to see God in a new light and as the one who is our protector and provider. Notice what Peter says about trials in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the, notice how he describes them, fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So don't think it weird. Don't think it out of the ordinary. I mean, typically trials are strange. It's like, God's allowing this to come into my life? I I don't think so. What's going on, God? Do you hate me? And often people are there. Are you spanking me? What did I do wrong? Uh, I I repent. I don't know what I'm repenting of, but I repent. You know? I mean, you know, God can discipline us. I mean, that's not out of his reach. He does that. But I mean, I I think he's going to let us know ahead of time why we're being disciplined. I mean, what kind of parent would you be if you went in at three o'clock in the morning, spanked your kid and ran out of the room while the lights are still off? Your kid wakes up crying, going, ah, I got spanked. I don't know why, but I'm in pain, you know. I mean, how's your kid going to learn from that? You know, you say, hey, this is what you did. This was wrong. This is what I'm going to do. This is your consequence. And afterwards, you give him a big hug and tell him you love him and what's expected next time. But, I mean, it's a teaching moment. It's not weirdness. In the same way, if God's going to discipline us, I think it's going to be very clear that he's disciplining us or it would be really ridiculous. But here, Peter says to the newer Christian, if you would, we have in our minds that God wouldn't allow such things to come our way. And understand, difficult things are going to come our way. They have, they are, they will. 
And, and it seems in some ways like it's so hard, so weird that why would God allow that to touch my life? And understand ahead of time, this is very much within the nature of God. This is very much the norm as a Christian. Yes, it's a fiery trial. Yes, it may seem strange, but get that out of your head. It's not strange. It's the norm. In 1 Peter, the same book, in chapter 1, I I love these first five verses. They're so comforting. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ah, so comforting, isn't it? Now look at verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if needs be, you are grieved by various, many different types of trials. So Paul, Peter here is saying there's a grieviness to it. There's a fieriness to it. There's a strangeness about it. But in verse 7 he goes on to say, but the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvations of your souls. And so here he, he's saying that your faith is much more precious, of much more value than you have any idea. And when we stand before God, we want our faith to be that of pure gold. You know, when you get a lump of gold in this rock, you, you heat it up. And other alloys will start breaking away from that gold. The gold will melt into a liquid and other alloys will go with it and you scrape it away and there you got 2% gold. And turn it up a little higher and you get 4% gold. And you turn it up a little higher and you get 14% gold. And you keep going, you get a, a more quality gold. And here Peter is saying, God is gonna take you through fiery trials. He's gonna keep turning up the heat that one day when you stand before Jesus Christ face to face, your faith would be as a pure gold. So it's very much in God's will for the present that we go through grievous trials. We go through strange things. But we understand living in these sinful bodies, living on a sinful planet, that this is God's method in which he is going to change us into a greater character. In James chapter one, notice the way he says this. My brethren, count it all joy. (laughs) Calculate it as joy. I mean, it's not gonna naturally be, oh, a new trial, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I Thank you, thank you for that one flat. Another flat tire, that'd be nice. Come on, not just one, give me a couple here. You know, I don't think that's the way we do it, is it? This, okay, oh, here it comes. Thank you, Lord. When you fall, notice here, into various trials. It just feels like that. One day everything's going great. The next day, ah, what happened? I should have not woke up today. Uh, it's been great for the last few months, and all of a sudden, night and day difference. And in verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance, the same thing that we see there in Romans, perseverance, 
But notice here in verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work. In other words, here he's saying you can get around it. You can get enough money to get around it. You can use your abilities and skirt around it. You can look at the grass on the other side of the fence and jump over. But you've got to understand that you're not going to grow. And so people foolishly do all kinds of crazy things. They uproot themselves. They move. They quit their jobs. They go to a new job. They get rid of that marriage and start a new marriage. They're they're thinking, I'm going to get around these difficulties, these trials. But guess what? (laughs) You're going to face them again and again and again. It's not like you're going to get away from it. It's, It's not an issue of, can I get away from the trials? It's when they come, am I going to allow them to have their perfect work? Ultimately, where can they take us? that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. There's such a great hope that we have as believers that God wants to take us to a very, very deep place in him until we can say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, back in Romans 5 here, he gives us this chain of growth. These tribulations, these trials produce perseverance. And then he mentions that word perseverance again in verse 4. He says, and that perseverance, he says it now for the second time, that endurance is going to produce a character. And then that character is going to produce a hope. In other words, a deep certainty of faith. And so this is the process He's saying you're going to have a perseverance and as you just trust in the Lord and you get to the other side of that trial, you're going to see God's faithfulness and you're going to go, man, it was strange. (laughs) Man, it was fiery. Man, it was grieving. And I I thought all was lost. I like Paul there in 2 Corinthians 1. I was pushed above strength, despairing of life itself. Pushed above measure, despairing of life itself. That's the way you feel in the midst of it. And I'll tell you, people that have walked in the Lord for decades, they've seen God be faithful so many times. It's just so hard to not trust him in the present. Because we're in these situations, there's no way God can turn this around for good. And he does it. How can this be the Lord? But it is. And we go through these difficult times and God uses them to strengthen our faith and to perfect our character. Another string, if you would, of chains of growth. We see many of them in the New Testament. But let's look at the one in Second Peter. You might want to turn there in your Bibles, a long verse. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And look at this chain of spiritual growth. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, and here's the beginning of this list, virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, and here's the one we're familiar with, perseverance. There it is. There's some things in front of this in Second Peter. And then that perseverance to godliness. In in Romans, it says character, but that's really the same thing, isn't it? It's a godly character. And from that godliness or that character comes to brotherly kindness. And from brotherly kindness unto love, agape love. 
Now, notice what he says about this. If these things, what? That string, of, of, of that chain of growth there. If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these things are yours. So, you know, every once in a while, I was accidentally patient. Whoa, Brian, you were patient. What happened? It was an accident. Sorry about that. You know, but now you're growing in character. It's weird when you're not patient. It used to be, it was weird when you were patient. Now it's weird when you're not. You used to be so unkind. Accidentally, you'd stumble and be kind to somebody. Wow, what? that's sort of weird. You were kind. What happened there? I don't know. I, but it happened. But now you're, it's yours. You possess it and you're, you're kind most of the time. When you're not kind, that's the unusual thing. So these things you've worked out and you're now come to this agape love and it's yours. It's who you are deep into your character and you're growing in it. You're abounding in it. You don't have to worry about being unfruitful anymore. And there he goes on in 2 Peter 1 verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and it's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, what? The chain of growth, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, kindness, kindness to brotherly, uh, to, to brotherly kindness to love. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly, a ticker tape parade, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he, he makes it clear here that we don't just get saved. I see that I'm a sinner. Okay, Lord, come into my life. And that's the end of the story. That the Christian walk is a part of eternity. You know, people often think, okay, now I got my fire insurance. I'm not gonna go to heaven. I received the Lord in my life. Now I just sort of wait around until I go to heaven. I start eternal life. No, eternal life is not just a string of time because hell is eternal amount of time. It's, it's a quality of life with the Lord. And the Bible tells us that it starts now in these bodies. It doesn't stop when we leave the, or start when we leave these bodies. It starts now. So right now we begin living in a quality of God, in a quality of eternal life. And so we, we stop to realize that there are some Christians who receive the Lord, but they never progress in this chain of growth. And now they're Christians and they are so fruitless, it's almost as if they're blind. I mean, you've probably heard people say stuff like this, right? Oh, so-and-so, he's been a deacon down at that church for 40 years. He's the meanest guy I ever met. Christians are mean people. Well, is that a possibility? Actually, it is a very much a possibility. Because this guy, 40 years earlier, received the Lord. It was a, a dramatic, powerful few months of his life where he began to read the Bible and pray and, and grow in the Lord. And then about six months into it, he just sort of tapered off and sort of hit the cruise control. And even though he's 40 years in the Lord, he's not 40 years matured. He's only six months matured. So even though he's been hanging out around the church and God's people, he himself 
is not 40 years matured in the Lord. And that's what's stumbling. Because it should be you're 40 years in the Lord and you have 40 years of maturity in the Lord. 40 years of having gone through trials and and seeking God and and thanking God and getting to the other side of those trials and your character has grown and that character has brought about this godliness in you. It's given you this deep faith that you just can't doubt God anymore. And now you're 40 years on the other side and it's a beautiful thing. You're this seasoned Christian who, who have these things that you possess them now. And you're abounding still after 40 years in the Lord. You're still abounding more and more in your love and your kindness and your goodness and your fruitfulness. And so even the non-Christian can say, this is a sad thing. This guy who's been a deacon at the church for 40 years and is still as mean as any non-Christian I know, maybe even meaner. It, it, it is a sad thing. But it's a very much a possible thing. And this is why he's saying that if we allow our character to grow into this godly person and into this deep faith that puts their trust in God, back in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, now this hope or this deep faith that we have does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This deep faith that we have now, it's, we get it. It is more precious than gold. We, we get it. It is something that's beautiful and, and precious before God. And when we leave this body and stand present with the Lord, it is a beautiful, beautiful gift, if you would, to him that we've allowed our lives to be submitted where God has grown us into that character. But then he goes on to say that then there is this love of God And notice how it is poured out, not sprinkled. It's poured out like the gates of a dam opening up, just flooding upon you. And what's coming, this love of God, it goes into your heart, how? By the Holy Spirit. Now you say, hold it, I've been a Christian for 10 years now and, and I really would love that kind of love in my life. I'd really love God right now, just this Holy Spirit to pour upon my heart that kind of love. Well, you've got to understand, yes, you received the Lord. You said, God, I'm a sinner. I, I, I agree with you. Come, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And his Holy Spirit entered you. But since that time, although God's Spirit is living in you, you are not submitted to the Spirit. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not living a Spirit-filled life. And so although you, you have heaven, you're going to be with the Lord. We're, we're not talking about an abundant entry here. In First John chapter 2, verse 28, it tells us that some will go to heaven shrinking away in shame as they approach God because they have not continued abiding in him. And so this person that has continued to allow their character and their hope, their trials to grow, the Holy Spirit now has free reign to continue to pour out more of his love, more of his power into their hearts and just flows from them. Now, you may be here and saying, you know, that's, you've just perfectly described me. I've been 10 years in the Lord and I have one month of growth. 
Or maybe you're saying, I've been 40 years in the Lord and I have one year of growth. And I see other Christians that have been in the Lord as long as I have and they're so fruitful. They're so involved. They, they seem to be blessing so many people and I'm just this lonely guy. I don't know anybody and nobody wants to know me. And I, What's wrong with this? And I, and I realize now, I, I'm still living a self-centered, self-fulfilled life. And I, and I realize that needs to come to an end. Well, then that's exactly where the Lord wants you. And you know, if you today will just submit your heart to God and to say, I'm gonna begin walking in the Spirit, I'm gonna live a Spirit-filled life submitted to the Spirit, God will catch you up. God will bring you into maturity. So the time you get to be 45 years in the Lord, you have 45 years of maturity here. 15 years in the Lord, you're 15 years of maturity. God will catch you up. But notice what he says here in verse six. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now he's gonna give us an equation to help you understand your position in Christ. When it says we were without strength, it meant we had no ability to see that we were sinners or even care about it. So somebody might have said to you, you know, you're a sinner and your sins grieve God. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins and you have no appreciate it. Just shut up and leave me alone. Christ died for you, who cares? What you're doing is immoral. I love it, I'm gonna keep doing it. Get away from me. So even when you were without strength to see your sinful condition, when you were without strength to care how much God had done for you, Christ still died for you while you were what? Ungodly. When you were at the core of your wickedness, when you were at the the, the bottom of your most selfish selfishness, Christ still died for you. Now notice in verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous Man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it doesn't say God talks about it. Or God philosophizes about it. God demonstrates it. He demonstrated it by offering his only begotten son to take the curse of mankind, the thorns, he said to Adam, by the thorns you're gonna produce from the ground and thorns were placed upon Christ's head, the curse of man and his sinfulness. Nails driven through his hands, beating and whipping and he died upon a cross that you might be free from your sins. And I might add, he's demonstrated his love for us 10,000 more times, hasn't he? I, I dare say he demonstrated his love for you probably this morning. But he did and he does demonstrate his love. Now notice the end of verse eight. He demonstrated his love for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, let's really take that out of a generic formula and just come this morning to realize Christ died for who? Say it, for me. Every one of us need to come to understand God loves you. And you need to come to that revelation to say, yes, Lord, I, I know that you love me. 
that you demonstrated your love for me, that Christ died for me. This is where the gospel takes effect when you understand not that God is a God of love, but that God loves you. And he goes on in verse 9 to say, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here's this analogy, if you would. It's sort of the uh, argument from the greater to the lesser. When you were an ungodly, sinful person, didn't know about God, didn't care to know him, didn't know about your sin, didn't care to know about it. You just were living in sin and and weren't totally uninterested how it affected God. You were at the core of your wickedness. God still loved you by his son dying for you even when you were unthankful, uninformed, unappreciative. Christ still loved you and he died for you. Now here you are as a Christian. And you're not being the Christian you should be. But you're still a Christian. If God loved you when you were a completely ungodly person, is God going to love you less now that you're a struggling Christian? If God loved you when you were the chief of all sinners, isn't he going to still love you while you're not the greatest of all saints? Of course he is. And this is the point he's making. Is God is not down on you. God is not you know, griping about you. As we saw in Romans 2, let the love of Christ constrain us. In essence, as we read Romans here, the Bible wants us to be overwhelmed with the goodness of God towards us and our hearts would be so filled with the goodness of God. As we get to Romans 12, he says, therefore, understanding all that God's done for you, will you now Do that which is reasonable, that is giving your whole body, spirit, soul, mind to Christ as a living, holy sacrifice. And our response is rhetorical, of course it is. God has given everything for me. I absolutely want to give everything to him. And here we come in this passage and and we realize that when we were ungodly and unappreciative and, and, and sinners to the core, Christ still loved us and died for us. And now here we are as Christians Maybe we're weak, carnal, not walking in the spirit. And the work that God wants to do, that is pouring out his spirit upon you, filling you with his love and causing this radical fruitfulness to pour from you. It can happen. God's for you. He's not bad-mouthing you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not griping about you. He's just simply saying, this is what I have much, much more. And boy, time is short, isn't it? We have this little tiny speck of time on this earth and we leave this planet and we're standing with the Lord. So it's not like we can say, yeah, you know, in a few years, a few years you're dead. I mean, it's just, life is that short. You say tomorrow and all of a sudden it's 10 years later. Now's the time. And in verse 11 he says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God. Notice this word, Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also rejoice in God. Notice the second one. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he received us. 
when you said, Lord, I, I received the work you did on the cross, he, at that moment, you have been reconciled, you are reconciled, you will continually be reconciled. God didn't reconcile you and said, okay, now that you're a Christian, you better walk perfect or I'm going to unreconcile you. So you became a born-again Christian and you were reconciled for a couple days and then all of a sudden you had a bad week and he said, unreconciled, got to get saved all over again and uh, go back to the beginning and then you walk good for a couple months and then you blow it again, up, back to the beginning, Got to go say, get saved again, start over. Have you ever played those kind of games, you know, where you get, get knocked off? You know, you finally got that little guy going around. You're about halfway there, and then somebody knocks you off. Back to the beginning. It's like, ay, ay, ay. You know, frustrating. That's not what God's doing here. God has in the past been for you, even when you were a sinner, when you were ungodly, when you had no care about him whatsoever. And he then reconciled and he loved you when you received him. And now you're walking as a believer and maybe you're not being what you ought to be. As it says in the epistles, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. God loves you. (laughs) He's reconciled you to himself. And guess what? He will continue to reconcile you. Notice here in, in these verses we covered today. And, and notice it's all through Christ. In verse 6 there, Christ died. In verse 8 there, Christ died for us. There in the end of verse 9, through him, Jesus. In verse 10, through the death of his son. Verse 11, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received. It's through that relationship with Christ. You know, that's, that's the key. I mean, if, if you're having marriage problems here today, and you're able to go to a marriage counselor, and, and he basically tells you how to act as a husband. And so like a robot, you do everything the counselor said, and uh, I'm doing this thing. Have you really become a good husband? Or have you just become a mechanical being that doesn't tick off your wife as much as you used to? I mean, what does your wife really want? She wants you to fall in love with her. And because of that love you have for her, you are responding and doing these things that also please her. And the same with the Lord. He doesn't want to slap some religion on you and a bunch of Phariseeism on you and now you're walking all this Pharisaical religious way. And No, he just wants you to know him. It's through him. It's by him. It's of him. Christ is drawing you to himself and that you would see how much he loves for you and you would respond with a deep, deep love for him. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word here today and we do know in Jesus' name that as we study the word, we know you, God. We know your heart. We know your mind. We know your character. And that everybody here today could say, I today know the nature of our Lord. The nature of our Lord is to love us when we were sinners ungodly, unappreciative. And now as born-again believers, wherever we're at in our pilgrimage, whether we're where we should be or not, you're for us.
and that truly you want us to just be swallowed up by your love, to stand in your grace, to have access into your throne room, to have a peace with our God. And through that incredible flooding us, pouring out upon us of your spirit, of your love into our hearts, that we would respond to say, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to pray to you. I want to live a holy life for you. I want to serve you and know you and just be a blessing to others as you have blessed me. And Lord, we ask right now that the love of Christ would constrain us this morning. That wherever we are in our pilgrimage, if we're being carnal, we're, we, your spirit lives within us, but we're not walking in the spirit. You have brought your spirit within us, but we're not living a spirit-filled life. We have received you as Lord and Savior, but yet we're not day by day submitted. And in this season of our life, and maybe it goes back a few months, maybe it goes back a few years, maybe even a few decades, I have not lived submitted to you. But I realize now that that's such a mistake, that I'm not the fruitful person I should be at this stage in the game. I'm not the loving person that you wanted me to be. Lord, I repent. I thank you that you're for me. I thank you I have access, that I stand in the grace, that I have peace with you, that you have reconciled me and I will always be reconciled into you. But now, Lord, I ask that you at this moment, Lord, would take me from where I'm at to where I need to be. To help me beat my body in subjection and that your spirit would win day by day. Your will would be done, not my will, not my flesh as well. I would seek you, Lord, every day in the word and walk and talk with you all day in prayer. And Lord, that I would quit reducing Christianity to coming in here in a sermon and leaving. I would, I would be involved in your body. I would be involved in being a witness. Take my life, Lord. I surrender it completely to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the great joy that you have in taking me to heaven with you. And Lord, I just surrender myself to you today. In Jesus' precious, precious name. And everyone said, Amen, amen. and Amen.